Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. Good morning. Beautiful day, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's lovely. Here we have Paul uh, explaining his relationship with the church in Thessalonica and his difficulty in Philippi and the challenges that he faced. But one of the things here stood out that he says here really stands out to me and is quite amazing. He says, We never came with words of flattery or with a pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals. Now, this is a self actualized non-anxious person, and we never see this in the wild, someone who doesn't have an ulterior motive, someone who doesn't come with an agenda, someone who is actually interested in you as a person, and not what can you do for me. He's not worried about your opinion of him or your approval. Well, let's be honest, I wish I could be like St. Paul, but I'm not there yet, and in the spirit of transparency, I'm not even close. Paul doesn't come to flatter you. He doesn't try to need you to like him. Sorry. This is a... Uh statement to make in stewardship season, but he's not trying to butter you up to ask for money, which in that sense is the pretext for greed. Nor is he seeking praise from mortals because Paul is one who rests in Christ. What has happened is that Paul has bottomed out. Paul hit rock bottom. He had his whole life fall out from under him when he was persecuting the church, thinking he was doing God's work, then realizing he was actually going against the work of God. He had a complete reversal of everything he thought was true and right in himself and in his ego. He was a murderer. He was against God, and it was at that moment that God called him into service on that Damascus road. He was a murderer, and he was against God, and it was at that moment that God called him into service on that Damascus road. So until you have been loved at your worst, you might think that you are some kind of person in the world that can impress others, or win approval, or whatever it might be, but as we see in this passage today, Paul is done with all of that. Because he's been at his worst. And it was that moment that he was loved and discovered the truth of the gospel. And he's saying, if I can be loved at that level, if God loves me at that level, and we're not talking about ground zero here, right? We're talking about like the basement as low as you can go. If God can love me there, then I don't need to flatter other people. 
I can walk around in the world confidently as someone who is loved. That's why he can be among them, and it says, tenderly caring like a nurse for her own children. Because Paul is now operating in the world from a place of being loved. That allows him to love others, which all of this is a real, true introduction to who St. Paul is and who we are called to be. Now we'll move on to Matthew. Here we have a really nice bookend, right? Jesus quotes the reading we just heard a few moments ago from Leviticus 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. And here we are ending Jesus being grilled by the Sadducees and Pharisees. So he silences the Sadducees, and now the Pharisees are cracking their knuckles going, Hey, if the Sadducees weren't able to trap Jesus with some kind of question, well, it's our turn. And they ask him this question to test him, which of the commandments is the greatest? And he says in this classic response, which, by the way, we say in every right one Eucharist that we read from the Book of Common Prayer, we begin the service with the summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Boom. They don't have a response to that. It's perfect. And then Jesus takes his turn and asks them a question. He says, okay, I answered your question correctly. Now here we go. What do you think of the Messiah? Sorry, Siri, not you. Okay, I get it. He says, what do you think of the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they answer, the son of David. Now, reading this passage made me feel like a disciple because I didn't understand it. (laughs) Because it is rather confusing to hear these words and yet so simple. Jesus responds, how then is it that David, inspired by the Holy Spirit in writing the psalm, says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. So David is saying, God has said to my Lord, meaning David has a Lord, the Messiah. So how is that possible if the Messiah is the son of David? That's where I was going, wait a minute. I know what this means, but I'm going to have to break this down a little bit. They think that the Messiah is going to be a son of David, an heir, a king from Israel in the political and military sense. But he is saying, wait, there is something more going on here. If you read David talking in the Psalms, actually the Messiah is his Lord, then how could he be his son? They are all quieted. They cannot answer, and they shut their mouths. And it says, nobody asked him any more questions. That, my friends, is the superpower that I want. But as we see throughout the world, oftentimes people hope for a Messiah or a political leader to come and solve all of our problems through political means. But Jesus always, 
always rejects political power when it is given or offered to him. Jesus seems to think that there is a human problem, which is much bigger and much deeper. And that is what he comes to deal with. And this passage tells us all about that. He has not come to be a son of David and put a crown on his head and sit on a throne in Jerusalem. He has come to be the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the prince of peace, the savior of the world. The Logos, who has now put on flesh and dwelt among us to save us through his death and resurrection. Amen. Amen.